It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, there's no need to filter Turkish coffee. Just let the grind settle on the bottom of your cup. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. All right. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Doug. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Doug is a longtime friend of ours going back to elementary school. You may remember Doug from our first episode, Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as Solaris, American Graffiti, our trio of shorts episode, and The Fugitive. It's great to have Doug back once again as we continue our Guilty Pleasure movie block. Doug still conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In the first round, each question will be worth one point, and in the second round, each question will be worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1983 for a true guilty pleasure. Lotus 123 is released for the IBM-compatible computers. The TV show MASH ends, and McDonald's introduces the McNugget. During all this, David Cronenberg's movie Videodrome was released in theaters alongside Richard Pryor's The Toy, The Dark Crystal, Airplane 2, and Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Tom will be quizzing us today. Tom, what is Videodrome all about? Videodrome follows Max Wren, uh, played by James Woods, who is the head and part owner of this kind of softcore porn channel. You can think of like a, a precursor to, to Skinamax. And he's looking for something new, something harder. And he stumbles upon this, uh, this kind of pirated tape of a show called Videodrome, which instead of having a plot and characters and things like that, just as one room with an electrified wall in which people are kind of tortured and killed in a uh, sexual sadomasochistic way. Um, and he decides that this is the new thing and um, he, he thinks it's performed. And so he goes on a search for Videodrome to find it for his TV network. And as he does, we start to see him begin to hallucinate and come in contact with the people behind Videodrome whose intentions are far more than providing sexual thrills. Nick, if you had one word to describe Videodrome, what would it be? Oblivion. KJ? Cocky. Doug? Trippy. And my word would be media. It's time for question one. What is Civic TV's tagline? Locked in. Locked in. All right. I guess I'm locked in. All right, Doug, you locked in last, so you get to go first. What do you have? Uh, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it was something like uh, the TV station uh, you take to bed with you. Okay. Uh, next up was KJ. What do you have? Yeah, I had the channel you take to bed with you. And the logo was like a big TV that they would like put in their bed i think <laughs> yeah. and nick what did you have for the people by the people okay so the answer was the one you take to bed with you so doug and kj get that and the the visual logo was a kind of somewhat rotund middle-aged man in bed with the television <laughs> and kind of a uh, let's call it satisfied grin on his face um so I want to. I brought up this question because I I want especially that visual, the visual of the man in bed with TV, right? And I want to talk about this idea of um, of what the kind of the technology, the media uh, in this film is satisfying, right? What kind of human needs this thing is satisfying? How is like personhood and personal 
we could call it ability or skill or, or humanity, et cetera, kind of extending outward by virtue of our, the, the media environment that, that this film creates. <laughs> Don't jump all in at once. Mm-hmm. So, 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 Tom, let's let's uh, let's start a little smaller. So, okay. um, so first of all, I guess one of the things this well, let's start by saying this movie was made in the eighties, takes place in the eighties, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. the cable companies are growing. We don't have the Comcasts and the, I don't know, whatever the rest of the nation has as their big ones. So you have these smaller channels that have smaller influence um, kind of building up and eventually they get eaten by the bigger and the bigger and the bigger. So I guess what Cronenberg's trying to say is people are just sitting in front of the TV all the time. So the idea that the TV is either corrupting your mind, it's making you a couch potato, this kind of thing. So he's turning that up to 11 and saying what happens if it literally infiltrates you to a point of hallucination and 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 um you know influences your everyday life that you you really can't function because you start seeing images which is what you know television is all images a little bit of audio um so can you ask your question again, Tom? Because I, I still feel like yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not all I, the way I, there. I'm trying to connect yeah, these dots. I think that makes sense, right? It's like um, it's it's you know this uh, it's doing a function, right? It's performing a function in in a kind of a new way. So my question, more or less, I guess, is what is that function, or how do we describe that function that television is doing in this this movie? Well, so, you know, not to get too technical or too sci-fi, but I, I felt like what they were depositing is because it was it was VHS tapes or Betamax tapes, whatever they were. Right. So mm-hmm. somehow in that electromagnetic tape, a signal was recorded that when you consumed it through your eyes and your ears, it left a pattern on your brain that could continue to influence you mm-hmm. was kind of the the dry answer. I, I know yeah. that's. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, they also suggested the edginess of what you're actually watching is kind of what allowed you to open your brain to these signals. Mm-hmm. Even though this was the early 80s, I equated it a lot to what we see now, even in this internet era where people are looking for likes and clicks. So his idea to get more audience was just to show outrageous things because people tend to be drawn to outrageous things versus the mundane. So even now, if there's research out there that shows that people are more likely to look at things that are negative than puff pieces that are good. And we see this, unfortunately, in our politics all the time. You know, We look more at negative ads than positive. So things that create a lot of like hype or something that is different than everything else was his approach. Now, I know you want to go deeper than that, but when you first asked this question, I I took it more literal, like what was the channel's goal? And it was to get more eyeballs Mm -hmm. by showing outrageous things. And in this case, you know, we may deduce it to smut. Okay. But he, he found the line of things he could broadcast. The greater meaning I think is what you guys are going into, but I was talking within the context of the purpose of that channel within the movie. Yeah, I, well, I think also what you were saying about the kind of the extension of the eyeball, right, is a big thing. Because we also have like the optical, the glasses company is is the villain. That's what they that's what they sell. They sell glasses and weapons to NATO. <laughs> we the, the diversify. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I'll, I'll tell you about a musical instrument company that my dad worked for, which makes guitars and helicopter wings. But anyway, um, the the so the idea of like the extension of the eyeball kind of out onto the television, I think is is a big thing. I think it's what's going on in this movie, um, and and so your like your ability to see or what you can see or what you can consume moves away from what's local to more and more kind of global aspects, right? Which is even more true today with the phone, where you could you know see pretty much anything on earth pretty quickly. Um, but it was also, you know, kind of considering like the image from Civic TV of the, of the, like the middle-aged man in bed, but he's not with a wife, he's with the television. And then it's sort of, 
you know, taking the place of, um, it's kind of taking the place of a lover, right? It's, it's a technology that you've put your sort of desires onto. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you've, you've taken your desires, instead of having that as a kind of a human thing that's sort of extended out from you into this like technology, into this new media. So I think you're right, Nick. I think it is like the extension kind of of the eyeball, really. It's time for question two. How does Dr. Brian Oblivion define TV while on TV on the Rena King show? Locked in. I don't have an answer. Locked in with a guess. All right. So uh, KJ, you go first. Uh... I don't know. Um, TV. He defined TV as a way of uh, getting into people's houses. Okay. Uh, Doug, you locked in second. Yeah, I, I can't even think of a plausible guess. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, Nick, what do you have? An extension of reality. Okay. Um, all right, so no points there. I guess that's somewhat I thought of a I was problem. close. You're close. I, I think maybe we should give Nick. So the answer is television is the retina of the mind's eye, is what he says on that I'm show. I'm pretty sure he said something about extension of reality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I, well, how about this? I think that's actually right. I think kind of that's what that phrase means. So I think I'm going to give Nick the point for. Um, We'll, we'll call it interpretive point. I'll take it. How about that? Points there a point. <laughs> Points a point. One interpretive point. Yeah. One interpretive point. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, regardless how you can, yeah, I was going to say, regardless how you categorize it. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited to go for interpretive points for the rest of this <laughs> podcast, guys. <laughs> I think that's the first one you got. <laughs> Just let's bring in Brian Oblivion and let's talk about him what he wants, what kind of his philosophy is. I'll let you know that he's based on um, the, the media scholar, Marshall McLuhan, who was at the University of Toronto at the same time David Cronenberg was. Uh, McLuhan as a professor, Cronenberg as a student. But I don't believe Cronenberg ever took a class with him. And he was kind of like a, a celebrity du jour of, uh, of that university. And so what do we think of, of Brian Oblivion? So I was a little confused about Mr. Oblivion, right? So the first time we see him is on the talk show. Dr. And he's, what did I call him? Mr. Oblivion. Dr. (laughs) Oblivion. Four years of (laughs) doctor school to be called (laughs) Mr. Oblivion. That's his villain name. Um, Dr. Oblivion. So when we first see Dr. Oblivion, he's on the the talk show, right? Mm -hmm. So James Wood is seducing um nikki mm-hmm. right who we assume is there mm-hmm. okay and rena is interviewing dr oblivion mm-hmm. so far so good mm-hmm. right they're talking back and forth mm-hmm. yet later on in the show his daughter says he only monologues because he doesn't exist anymore he only exists as videotapes mm-hmm. so if she's right then he doesn't have an objective because he only exists as monologuing videotapes that's probably serving the new flesh or something like that i forget what they call out sometimes they call it the new flesh Mm -hmm. the new flesh so i the movie is very contradictory about how dr oblivion works so i I don't i couldn't I, i don't know what his motives were i don't i don't know that he had any i might take a stab at this so it almost seemed like a I don't want to say a cult, but a church or a religion. So this is later in the film, maybe 30 minutes plus in, where apparently the hobos and derelicts of society are carted into this place that normally we would think would be providing them meals and a place to wash up. But no, it it provides them TV media to consume. And when he's speaking with, when I say he, uh, what's the main character's name? Max. Sorry. James Wood. When Max, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know James Wood. When Max is speaking with Dr. Oblivion's daughter, who's running the show there, she explains that the per- Dr. Oblivion's purpose and the purpose of this mission 
is to bring these people back into the fold. So by consuming this media, they are now back in society. I, I don't necessarily completely understand it, but that's their goal. So again, instead of you know warm showers, food, <laughs> and drinks, they are allowing them to watch TV and that will bring them back into the light of organized society. So why is she continuing his mission? Does she believe it too then? Oh, I think so. So I think the the idea of like his so there's a few things I think we have here. We have like the the corporality of um of Brian Oblivion, which is highly suspect, and like what he wants, and then what it what this mission's goal is, because I think it's it's tied directly to the goal of of Brian Oblivion and Bianca, um, and I what I think with like the, the whole kind of um the network being being put back in or plugged back into the mixing board of the world is what bianca says about what her her institution the, the cathode ray mission is is supposed to do and i i think what that is supposed to Could remember yeah that, that's it yeah and i think what that's supposed to mean is that um this seems to be drawn from from McLuhan uh, is where cronenberg seems to be getting this this idea is that there's this sort of connection between all people thanks to the TV, right? That this is creating what McLuhan calls it like a global village. Everybody's tied together because instead of like just being local and not knowing what's going on on the other side of the hill or something, you can kind of, you can see it, right? It's kind of satellited out to you, beamed onto you, beamed onto the television. And for people who don't have that technology, they're like not in the village they're they're kind of isolated from from the world um and I, and I think when you think of television as the new flesh which is oblivion's you know kind of famous line he, he i don't even know if he says it but it's sort of attributed to him um is that it's not only is it like the the global village not only is this a thing that you're experiencing by being kind of plugged in and just looking at television but it's actually affecting your physical experience of the world and so this this sort of this sort of um border penetration border play between the like the physical person and the television person or the television representation they're sort of collapsing into one another and i think that that it has a lot to do with like why oblivion is on the Rena King show in a position that he shouldn't be, right? Like he's probably, he's dead by that point, isn't he? Presumably. Yeah. I think she said it's been 20 years. He's only monologued for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you could also say like, yeah, okay, fair enough. But um, I mean, if the video, if he's recording it in advance. So I think it was 11 months. <laughs> His daughter says he's been dead 11 months, but- 11 months, 20 uh, years. It was 20 years that he's only communicating in monologues. Uh, but he only died 11 yeah. months ago. So he has a lot of pre-recorded tapes, um, which were used in that interview. Mm -hmm. That That's the impression I got, was that he's just recorded so many things that, like, that exists, that, that, that line of conversation exists in that, you know, warehouse of tapes he's made. Um, his daughter addresses that. She says he had thousands of tapes and he'd record multiple tapes in one day. Yeah. And so it's even there, it's like a monologue, right? If, if you think of that tape as being recorded in advance. Well, and that's why I, I thought he was interacting with Rena. Mm -hmm. So he. I don't remember that cage. So that's yeah, why I can't. But I, I, I no, thought she just hit play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but he is communicating with her, right? Like she asks a question and really? he says stuff and she's like, Okay. And he also is watching Max. He's watching Max and Nikki. He's looking at them. Um, and so I think it's, I, I don't think it's a... Is he though? Or is that just presumed? He's, I mean, he's looking over there like this and then he turns to, to Rena. Yeah. Um, I think he looks at him like, why aren't you paying attention? Or he's, he's paying attention to them, whatever. He seems to be recognizing the space, right? That's, you know. His daughter just picked the right film. I think. Yeah, That's I think there's that. But I think there's also, <laughs> what I think what Cronenberg's doing is kind of, mixing it up right it's like this is the new flesh right he's in you know he's he's a, he's a video 
thing now. He's like a video person. He's in the new media. He's transcended. So even if he wasn't dead, it would be very strange because he's just, you know, his face is on that monitor and he would be looking from that monitor, from the perspective of that monitor to the people in the room, as opposed to uh, at least what I thought originally uh, when watching that scene, that he was being uh, recorded live somewhere else, but the camera would be in a different location than the monitor that he would be looking at. So he wouldn't be looking at them in the, you know, from that point Mm -hmm. of view. Makes sense. It's not a hologram. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there is, you know, which I think there, there could be a lot of theories, but one of them is that he actually does exist in a digital form and it's not just a pre-recorded tape. He's actually Ooh, just there inside deep. the TV. Yeah, that's that's what I think is going on. I think that's part of the body horror. I think it's like, you know, this happens with, with the Cronenberg movies, with the early ones, the pre-history of violence movies. Um, it's a big part of, did you guys see uh, Existence, the video game movie he made? Uh, it's, you saw it, Doug? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think I saw it shortly after yeah. it came out, so I don't remember yeah, like 20 years, yeah. Except for the ending. Yeah. But I won't ruin it for you guys that did see Yeah, but there's a lot of like, like, there's a video game where you plug in like a VR, but it looks like an umbilical cord. It looks like parts of a body. It doesn't look, you know, like a Mac or yeah. anything like that. Um, but I, I think there's, that's the body horror in this is what you're saying, Doug, which is like the, the, bod, the integrity of the body is being violated, right? It is not that which we think of as a body it's now like this electric thing um you know and and it seems like max throughout this because of the hallucinations is also in between right his like body is not video yet it's it's becoming not body anymore we see like the gun becomes attached to him in in a sort of way um and you know, that's it because Oblivion talks about getting the tumor, right? He, he, he gets a tumor and dies, presumably because of, of, of the brain tumor. Um, but he says, like, the, what does he say? The, the Videodrome didn't cause the tumor. The tumor caused Videodrome? It's like another growth, another being, something else developing. Like that. Yeah, but I think that that's again that kind of play of video and flesh that you're you're talking about, Doug, is like it's it's altering the body. I think it's you know related to this. Uh, you know, what is conscious consciousness, and why does it actually have to be in a human mm-hmm. body? You know, why can't it actually just be digital? Uh, so I think this has been covered in you know lots of other movies and TV shows, but um, I think you know this. Uh, kind of, you know, ask that question, you know, why can't somebody exist just on video? You know, if, uh, you know, if enough, if they're, well, they didn't get into like, I guess the technical side of things, but, um, you know, if, you know, if your brain is, you know, neurons and information, you know, why can't that be recreated digitally? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I think, uh, it's it's a valid theory that uh, Brian Oblivion is uh, digitally alive, even though his body mm-hmm. is dead. At the end of round one, we have an exciting three-way tie. Everyone's got a single point. Great job, guys. You got 50% right. Okay, we're ready for round two right after this break. Dr. Pat Stevens, DDS, has just invented a great new diet plan. Drinking sewage. Dr. Stevens, from years of dental research, has just determined that for every mouthful of raw sewage consumed, you can burn up to 10 calories. That's up to 1,000 calories for 100 swallows of genuine raw sewage. You'll be looking nice and slim for the summer. Just pick up Dr. Stevens' new book, The Uber Sue Diet. Unlock your inner slop. Or order Dr. Stevens' new supplement, Runoff Juice, sewage, with an additional 15 grams of protein per serving. Diet Sewage. Get fit today. Side effects include massive weight gain, bad breath, spotty skin, yellowing teeth, hair loss, tongue fattening, 
lactating eyeballs, loss of outer layer of skin, direct verbal communication with the factitious characters of lesser-known Henry James novellas, loss of neighbors, 5% increase in breakdance efficiency, loss of friends, loss of spouse, loss of pets, flawless Bruce Springsteen impression, loss of home, whirling dervish, loss of family, loss of uncle, redwood, I refuse to explain what that means, you can look it up if you're curious, loss of faith in man, loss of faith in God, flawless Rick Springfield impression, loss of faith in the deistic oneness of the universe, ability to see in four dimensions, beautiful rainbow-colored tears, ability to see in six dimensions, vanilla-flavored flatulence, moderate cleanliness, ability to see in one dimension, hypnotic suggestibility, loss of heartbeat, blaming all of contemporary society's problems on 14th century Franciscan scholastic William of Ockham, pleasurable urination, the wrath of Khan, loss of upper lip, ability to communicate with fire ants, gravitational mendaciousness, an unexpected appreciation of soft cheeses, expansion of lower lip, sympathy for the devil, ability to open and close black holes less than two millimeters in diameter, but larger than one nanometer in diameter, flawless George Siegel impression, widening of feet anywhere from an increase of two inches to an increase of 14 feet, Ability to generate a blood-curdling cry reminiscent of a 19th century Irish banshee. Becoming so charismatic, even your closest friends and worst enemies will not be able to resist you. The end of the planet. A psychoschematic skin condition known casually as lube love. Again, I refuse to explain what that means. Look it up if you care. Unbridled hatred for Merriam-Webster dictionaries. Loss of stomach a flawless Tad Hunter impression, Dragonheart, an unwanted appreciation for the music of Steely Dan, magnetic fingernails, a 2-7% to increase in pretension, and a 1-5% to increase in pretentious-based activities such as experimental theater and dive bar attendance. Ramen noodles, it, it just says ramen noodles without context, the ability to orally consume denim, an autocathonic larynx, flawless Kenny G impression, the ability to feel love at least one more time, alpaca appreciation, becoming a modern Cassandra by being able to tell in advance what diet Mountain Dew flavors will fail, but having no one believe you, perfect pitch, repression of all memories of Bob Dole, fear of dwarf camels, and shortness of breath. And we're back. We're at the key point of our episode where we ask the guests a critical question. Doug, if you could watch this movie with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Well, it would have to be David Cronenberg, so I can ask him what it all means, because I don't think anyone else knows. Normally, I'd say that's a cop-out, but in this case... I'd actually like to know what it all means as well. So I'm on board. Are, are we taking this movie literally or is it all hallucinations? Is, is he uh, like, do we know him? Like, would he want to watch a movie? Like, is he, would he answer? Like, is he, who is like, I, I don't know. I've never he, seen an interview. When he, or... did a, he did a commentary track, track for the Criterion collection. So you could hear him watching the movie and talking about it if you want to do that. But is he cool? Like, would it be would it, would he be a good guy to watch this with? Like, well, he's Canadian, he cool? so it's you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a jerk. <laughs> I did notice that this was filmed in Canada, actually, in the closing credits. Not that it was good, worried about coming up. I just happened to see that. Yeah, it's it's actually it's a really interesting story about tax credits that factors into the production of this movie. But I won't bore you with that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Doug take it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'll have a nice B-side on that. <laughs> huh. So what do you think he would say, Doug? Uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's why I would pick him. Uh, I think, uh, you know, on the subject of hallucinations, uh, you know, I would say from the point where 
Max first sees the Videodrome recording, which he thinks is a broadcast at the time, I think if, at that point, you don't know whether anything is a hallucination or not. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's where the middle of the movie, I got intrigued, but I never really got to the payoffs. The only thing that I could really understand to be a hallucination is that when he was carrying the gun, he would see it attached to him, but there were other scenes where you could clearly see that the gun was not attached or he was opening a gate or doing something. And then all of a sudden, when it came down to a critical moment, that thing is attached to his hand again. So that's the only like firm thing I can say we see as an audience yeah. of a difference. So that one was, was interesting because he uses it. Um, well, so he, I think he first uses it to kill his partners at the station. And when he does, it's a normal gun. It's not a weird thing. Um, and then when they die, it's, you know, normal. Uh, but then I believe the second time he uses it, which is against, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Barry Convex. Convex. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, the, you know, the, the weird, uh, I think they call it the flesh gun. Uh, and he, after he gets shot, he's, uh, you know, like starts bubbling and exploding. Um, and then again, at the end, I think, I think those are the three times where he actually uses the gun. Um, and then at the end, when he uses it on himself, it's, you know, the weird, mm -hmm. uh, the weird version. Yeah. It's evolving. It starts off just like wires into his hand. And then by the end, it's like a, yeah. a flesh mitt. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, I... but it, it happens before he, uh, before he uses it normally, which is what is weird to me, mm -hmm. um, because it goes back from the weird, um, the weird version to the normal one, and then back again. So, it's time for question three. What is the new eyeglass line from Spectacular Optical called? Locking Lock that in. one in. Oh, tie lock with Doug and Nick. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Doug have the the guest privilege. We'll call it. Did KJ get in on it? He isn't locked yet. He's thinking. He's thinking deeply. For the people at home, when KJ thinks about a question, he looks upward and kind of scratches his chin. He looks he looks very much like Rodan's the Thinking Man. Um, KJ gets that a lot. Little, yeah. They usually call me Rodan, but it's usually. Godzilla reference. I, I think it helps to <laughs> rattle the brain back and forth. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's so empty. You're just making sure it's empty <laughs> that um, I ah, locked in with a guess. All right. What's your guess? Is it the eye pinner? Okay. Uh, Nick, what do you have? It is the Medici collection or Medici, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Doug, what do you have? <laughs> Medici or Medici. Yep. Nick and Doug have it correct, the Medici line. So I brought this up. I want to ask what you guys thought of Barry Convex and his role in this film. I actually liked Barry Convex because he kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought the story was taking me into the Dr. Oblivion had some other nefarious plans to recruit all the deviants in society and convert them through mind control, which clearly was not the way the movie was going. And then all of a sudden you got this guy who runs a glasses corporation really trying to do evil things and, you know, make assassins <laughs> from watching <laughs> S&M videos. So it, it, it was definitely a, a twist. Yeah. Do you remember what he, like why they're doing it? So they want to kind of uh, like purge, a segment of the population, the people who are, I guess, depraved enough to want to watch Videodrome in the first place. Yes, because mm -hmm. they said the rest of the world is getting harder and we're getting softer and it'll work mm -hmm. itself out. Yeah. You know, there's this, this kind of idea. There's like a tribal idea there, right? We're going to separate ourselves out and i love they have to say like north america is getting hard <laughs> because <laughs> it's a canadian film so <laughs> so like they, they can't just say canada is getting soft and the rest of the world's getting hard they have to like join us in in this in this kind of bizarre 
bi-national nationalism but um yeah that, that seems to be the 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 thing there with with barry convex is there's this like re almost re i don't want to say rejection of technology but there seems to be a rejection of sort of the philosophy that oblivion has right like oblivion wants everybody kind of patched in and joined together you know and videodrome is the means of transcendence and and like that makes sense if you look at oblivion's office right it's just filled with catholic iconography um did anybody else find that weird like his office is just it's just all catholic statues and a medieval tapestry and whatnot apparently marshall McLuhan, who, who he's based on was a very very devout daily mass catholic um well, there's a lot of religious undertones to that cathode ray mission or whatever the heck it was called. So mm -hmm. that was very strong. Going back to uh, Con Mr. Convex, I just love that his name is on the money because that has to do with like how eyeglass is correct, like farsightedness with like convex lenses. So like, and, and they have this lens company, glass company that's also trying to do this crazy stuff. So Yes, also the bombs or whatever they're selling to NATO. It just—it was so ridiculous that I—I I loved the uh, the involvement of his character in this film. I just—I don't know why more than I probably should. <laughs> I think it's a comedy. This movie's, you know, the the villains are Barry Convex and the like. The secretive sort of victim is Brian Oblivion. You know, this is these these are jokes. Definitely. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. But I think like I think what what Barry Convex is looking for is like kind of um, more worldly. There, there's power there. He definitely wants power. But there seems to be this kind of nationalist kind of separating things out or controlling people, I think. I can speak to that. His role is to correct people's vision, not only with glasses, but how they approach their life and society. So he's doing it, mm -hmm. you know, micro and macro. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, um, it's a technology that extends the human eyeball, but it's also he's leading their vision, right? They're not transcending of their own accord. He's leading their vision and he's getting rid of people who he can't lead, right? Who aren't, uh, who aren't fit, who aren't desirable. I, I was wondering why they call it the Medici line. Because it's an interesting comparison to like the art of Oblivion's office, which is clearly for the pleasure of the art. And then the Medici line, which is, you know, to, to sell this new eye line, this new, these, this new line of eyeglasses. I think at one point in, during the presentation, he's like, yeah, Ben, even you could sell this. You know, it's, you know, that type of thing. Um, so that also seemed to be an interesting contrast. So there was also this kind of um, humanistic, artistic flourishing thing on both sides on the oblivion side and on the, the convex side but towards different ends it's time for question four what is max first doing in the very beginning of the movie locked in locked in i have an answer but i'm nervous um I'm, I'm wondering if this is a trick question because yeah thinking it was pretty obvious but maybe i'm wrong yeah that's i I'm, I'm in the same spot doug i'm thinking i'm certainly locked in because i know exactly what it is but then i'm i'm nervous there was something that happened for a few minutes before this but um locked in all right so we'll start with kj what do you have i believe he was watching some uh vhs's some films from japan Yes, I believe these might have been naughty films from Japan, but yes. Uh, I thought he was, well, I thought he was um, just waking up because he was watching um, this a video from, I guess, his assistant uh, telling him about his first meeting of the day. And I think she said, like, good morning or this is your wake up call or something like that. That's right. The movie opens with... James Woods is Max sleeping and he's waking up. So this movie oh. starts in a dream and the video actually starts even before Max wakes, right? The video is playing. And then afterwards we see Max get up. <laughs> so the, the first, the first moments of the movie are in a sort of pseudo, we, we don't know who's, 
we don't know whose perspective is looking at the secretary's video in the first moments of the movie. Um, and so th this kind of idea of, I brought this question up um, from uh, Bishop Barclay, uh, essay est percepi, he has this famous quote, to be is to be perceived, which seems to trace throughout this, this idea of like perceiving creates and that type of thing. Um, and I was interested in what you guys thought of along that line, the sort of hallucinations that were going on throughout the, uh, the, out the picture and what that says about our main character, Max's consciousness. I think I'm hallucinating right now because I thought I had the answer right. And then Doug said it and I realized I was completely wrong. I have no idea how I mm -hmm. missed that. <laughs> so I'm a little embarrassed. I didn't realize that was a hallucination. I thought they were just abusing their use of the, the, the channel that they had. Right. I don't know. I don't know when, but at some point they didn't play TV all night. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed they just broadcasted his day. Mm -hmm. Like he was the head of the channel. <laughs> so every day he woke up at six 30 and got exactly what he needed. <laughs> he didn't care if other people did. So I didn't realize that was a hallucination. I don't even know if it is. They told everyone else where his meeting was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a scene later in the film where his, and I think it's his secretary, drops off his wake-up video. So yeah. that actually mm -hmm. wasn't his news channel. That was a video, I guess, it's a that is set to play at a certain time. Mm -hmm. It's a cassette, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird system, but... <laughs> Very efficient. <laughs> Friday, here's what I need you to do. Record what I'm going to do tomorrow. Drop it off at my house the night before, and that's the first thing I'm going to do. No, play but he didn't even play it. There's a timer, oh, wow. KJ. There's a VHS yeah. Yeah, timer that yeah. <laughs> goes off. <laughs> They're advanced. Wow. So wouldn't he wouldn't he be tempted to look in advance? Like, why are you going to wait until the next day to find out what what the schedule is like? Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Wow. And I don't know if it's a hallucination. It's just the it's introduced in a kind of an uncertain way. Right. We're not sure who's watching this movie at first um, when we're when we're introduced to the picture. And I think that that uncertainty of um, of being trapped in a perception that we can't trust is, you know, takes us all the way through the picture. Um, so when I first saw this, um, or so I knew it was a science fiction movie, but I didn't know how like science fiction it was. So I thought it might have been like an AI, you know, talking to him, you know, mm -hmm. on, on his computer. Um, and then I was surprised to see that she was a real person later on. Uh, but you know, it's also not set in the future. So I was no, but Doug, it, I was it in is the a same weird boat where I thought it might've been something like that because we've seen other, how do I put it? Earlier movies in the eighties and such that are showing it an advanced society, but still have CRT TVs. So like that didn't throw me off yeah. that technology wasn't flat screens and all that. So I actually thought you might be right that it was some kind of virtual assistant or something. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's a, it's a real person. So I, I was on that same but again, how many minutes into the movie are we have no other information? Yeah, it's an interesting way to start it. It's disorienting right at the right at the front. Well, and going back to the word hallucination, Tom, television is a hallucination, right? How so? Anytime you watch it, you are seeing something that's not physically there. You're mm -hmm. watching an image of something. So in general, television is a hallucination and videodrome is then bringing that to the person kind of like what we said in the, the the beginning of this episode so the extension of a hallucination not requiring a crt or a screen or a vhs tape or a broadcast it, it just feels like a natural extension of what television is right television seeing something that's far away you're now seeing something close that isn't physically there Okay, and that makes it hallucinatory? I mean, hallucination seems to be, by definition, seeing that which isn't present, which you're kind of saying, right? You're saying you're seeing something that isn't actually there, but is it less real than 
you know, seeing something in front of you. I mean, presumably you're seeing something that was filmed, right? That did exist at one point. Um, you know, it's what's what has changed is that distance and time have, have been collapsed. True, um, true. And I guess you can share the hallucination of television with everybody, right? Nobody's mm -hmm. going to disagree that those images are changing on the screen. That's that's true. Mm -hmm. However, if that broadcast creates other images in your mind or other thoughts that are not there. So I think this is what Cronenberg is playing with. So of course, when we bring something up and say define, I have to look it up. So hallucination is defined as an experience involving the apparent perception of something not present. So we can get really deep on if it was pre-recorded and now it's coming out of a TV, is that truly present or is it just electrons or other things? So I think that was his whole point of using that media to express these thoughts to the audience. Yeah, but I think KJ is right. It isn't, that's an interesting thing, right? Is that it is, it is a hallucination and we spend so much time with this hallucination, you know, more time than with, than with the, the non, the non hallucinatories, the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the boring people as we call them, um, you know, so it, it's, it, it's interesting. We're more invested, at least in the eighties and probably even more now with our, our phones and, and, you know, Wi-Fi and what have you in the hallucination and not in reality. That's more quote unquote real. It's almost like hallucination and reality are no longer opposites, right? We have to use a different kind of paradigm. You sound like Dr. Oblivion, Tom. The retina of the mind's eye is in the mind's eye television or something. I don't know. In the lead and our winner this week is Doug. Congratulations, Ooh. Doug. Yay. Yay. Very good. You did it. You won the video drum. <laughs> yes, you've won the video drum. Um, great, great work. Wait, you don't want to win the video drum. Three entered. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much worse than Thunderdome. It's time for Movie Rent. Okay, so one thing uh, in KJ's notes, we do notes for you you home listeners. Um, and one thing in KJ's notes that, that struck me as interesting, um, there's a number of things, but one thing I wanted to, wanted to bring up um, was the shock value of this movie and could Cronenberg achieve what he wanted to achieve without the shock value. And I, I thought about that a lot. Um, and I was actually wanted to, to start instead of with my notes with, with that question, like what is the value of, of the shock in the movie? The crazy thing is I've seen a lot of Cronenberg references in society. And again, I had never seen one. So I was actually expecting even more shock value. So I knew there was going to be some body horror dysmorphia type themes. So I think I was mentally prepared for it. Whereas if I didn't have that baggage, if you will, mm. I think I would have been really like, what the heck is going on here? So it's kind of funny. My perception of it before I watched it may have affected my view. But even if we take, like, let's say you made this about um, like an up and coming television network, not a, not a, a, a softcore porn network, but, you know, just like uh, an early cable network, you know, that's trying to get itself off the ground. Instead of taking it to bed with you, you take it to the garden with you or something like that. Yeah, you know, so you, like, you know, whatever. And, you know, they f they're looking at this kind of e exciting new program. Um, I mean, in part, the plot kind of falls apart because it's about, you know, um, uh, Barry Convex wants to um, destroy the undesirables, right? So it's <laughs> you have to kind of, you, you know, create something there. But I still think the themes are present even without that particular plot of Convex's. Um, and I, I was just wondering, is there something, so my, my answer to that question, I'll say kind of relates to the, the first question, not to answer my own question, um, or KJ's question, but uh, it, it seems to be like the, the extension of human activity and human ability into things outside of ourselves, you know, such as like, if you hit a nail with a hammer, you've now extended that, that ability into the hammer. And so that kind of you put yourself into that, right? Um, and for civic TV, you know, the one you take to bed with you, it's you've instead of 
having a kind of sexual experience with a partner, and this is a human thing you do, it's now become a new media. Like the desire itself is a media. It's a technology that gives you, you know, that gives you satisfaction, gives you desire and satisfaction of that desire. Um, and it, it seems to be a very, very eerie way of describing technology. Um, you know, it kind of gets at the, the maybe not dehumanizing, but certainly the bizarreness of, of that experience. I believe I have a real life comparison now, not to this level of content, but something where a modern network took a stab at attracting a different audience and bear with me on this one, but cartoon network. They're predominantly cartoons, children, I guess now very much. But then they started something late night called Adult Swim. Okay, so this is going back in time. Adult Swim was a chance to have more of the adult-themed uh, cartoon content as well as explore anime and other things that were not mainstream. And it actually became a success. So even though it was a smaller channel, they brought different type content to attract an audience and show a Western audience that there is other type of media out there worthy of consumption than what is being provided by the norm of the standard networks. That's my modern interpretation without all the body horror and mind control. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, you know, they're also trying to kind of grab your attention or, you know, maybe, maybe extend childhood, this idea of the cartoon as, um, as a place where you store childhood, possibly that, that experience, that nostalgia, that you make an adult version of that. It's sort of, I don't know, it sort of converts that nostalgia into something else possibly. That's just something I thought of with this small channel that's trying to opening up an audience. Yeah. Not necessarily all the other deeper themes mm -hmm. in this, but I, I that came to mind. Yeah. Well, some of the major themes that we were talking about about Videodrome include like the global village, right? So I, I think you could certainly hint on that or explore that idea without the the edginess, without the... Um, but one of the big things in this is James Wood is so cocky, right? He is incredibly, yes, incredibly. <laughs> right? Cavalier just... And I think that's... I don't want to say it's an important part of this movie, but that's that fits well with the edginess right he's <laughs> he's dealing with things that are um outside of most people's norms and he kind of just rolls with it right it doesn't seem like he's into this stuff yeah he, right yeah he doesn't seem to be particularly sleazy he just seems right. to be good at his job right right you know um that's more of what i thought i was going to get into with this movie i thought it was going to be some smut peddler <laughs> you know what i mean like that's it and there was more to it than that yeah i thought i thought it was interesting when um when nikki uh goes to burn herself with the cigarette he's you know he has a really strong no um like he's really uh shocked at that point but you you would think he's seen so much stuff and it's already established uh you know that she's sadomasochistic and it's not like i mean it's it's disturbing but it's not like you know she's gouging her eye out or cutting her arm off or something. But even when he watches the video of Videodrome, he's still convinced that it's fake. That yeah. even when the other media agent or whatever her title is says, no, 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 that stuff's real. Those people are being tortured and killed. He's like, no, 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 no. That is just some amazing um, production quality value <laughs> or value, you know? Yeah, he does. He says, I don't believe it. Yeah. But well, we never see anyone get killed on Videodrome, right? I mean, it, you see the torture, right? You kind of see Oblivion die. Oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And Nikki, in, unless in that room. was a hallucination. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I I think part of the shock, too, is the, the sort of like you're becoming your technology, right? This idea of the cyborg is not, you know, it's not like, like Terminator, right, where it's it's kind of easy to digest you get the idea of the terminator it's 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 a robot with human skin and 
aging potential. Um, you know, with this, it's like the cyborg is all of us. Like your your personhood is being violated by these kind of media experiences, and that's harder to gesture to, I think, with something like Cartoon Network, right? Where it's like, hey, it's fun to watch these cartoons. It's not doing anything. I'm just watching cartoons, and I think. You know, like the you know, uh, Barry Brian Oblivion would say, no, it's changing everything. You're changing because you're watching cartoons. You're changing because you your mind's eye is now the television, right? That is that is your mind outside of yourself. That's something new, and that's something weird. And I think the by having it be be porn and having it be kind of you know tough porn. It, it's sort of the kind of the the cold water in the face to be like, no, this kind of casual entertainment, this casual media, this is doing something. And what it's doing isn't, isn't, you're not able to plan it. It's not calculable. We don't know what is going to come of this, um, but it isn't normal. This is, this is new. Um, and I, I think it also ties into this idea, Kitchi, you were mentioning of the global village. Marshall McLuhan, who is, you know, oblivion, basically thought that you had these kind of tribal societies where before pre-writing, you needed the tribe because you needed to communicate and you only could, could communicate through word of mouth. Writing comes along and writing allows for communication without connection, right? You could just read the thing that, that somebody else has written down. But what the, the, the television world does is it creates access, like you're saying, KG, hallucinations, maybe we might call it, to other times and other places. And these these hallucinations or this access creates um, creates the village life again, the, the village life that we saw pre-writing. Um, but it does it not in this kind of individual local way, but it makes all of us, everyone in the world, part of a single village, the global village. And so it's this, this ironic term because those are supposed to be set against each other, globalness and the state of the village, the village being a kind of stand-in for locality. But in fact, the, the media world um, plugs you in to everything everywhere. It makes the hallucination the reality. The interesting thing about that is, especially in the 80s, is you had a monoculture, right? You had what? I don't know, 50 channels on TV. So Relative to now, yeah. Maybe you had 50 yeah. channels. I didn't have 50 yeah, channels. Or, or I had 10 like or whatever, five right? channels. But yeah. <laughs> today, we're, we're, we have way more stuff to watch, and it's, it's not a monoculture, right? I think The Onion had an article that was... Um, uh, guy found another guy that had heard of his favorite band. Like, we just there, there's no <laughs> yeah. other. Um, it, we, we don't we don't have that shared. Not everybody is watching uh, Wizard of Oz or or whatever was mm -hmm. broadcast on CBS on Saturday morning. That that's gone. So in the '80s, I can understand why that global village may have even been like a fear. Like, oh no no, we're gonna lose something because we're all just consuming the same mm -hmm. thing. Um, but what Videodrome and Cronenberg couldn't predict is we've moved away from that. We're now almost, I don't know if we're too far the other way, but there's so many things to watch. It's tough to find people that had a shared experience, right? Game of Thrones was incredible because what a few million people watched it, which is nothing compared to like MASH or, yeah. um, you know, something like this, but at least I, Oh, oh let's talk about this. Cause we both watched the, mm. the, the same show. We happen to watch that. Um, it's part of the reason we started the podcast. I feel like is so that we could all pick a movie and discuss it. So I think we still have a global village, but it's kind of opt in opt out. I think, yeah, I think it's a really, really good point. It's like, the the cyborg nature being attached to your phone all the time, which is definitely kind of this McLuhan Cronenberg cyborg thing, didn't make the global village. It kind of returned us to the regular village. Um, it, it's sort of it's still hallucinatory because you're still not right there with the person in front of you or whatnot, but it's still it's still not universal, right? And that's a really yes. good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not universal, and what's also kind of interesting is your village isn't local. Right. I'm not saying we lost the global part of the village, mm -hmm. but it's not universal. Yeah. But the people that I communicate with, their location doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Who's listening to this podcast? Nobody. But if they were <laughs> now, they're sharing these thoughts mm -hmm. with us wherever they are in the world, as opposed to, oh, we went, you know, to the, the coffee house on Friday night to listen to these guys talk about a movie or something. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. So 
we still are global, but I like that word. We're not universal. Yeah, it's uh, global local hallucination. I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which is Doug. Congrats for, uh, no, not flawless. What, three or four? No, not too, yeah, not three too out shabby. Of four. Mm-hmm. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Have you ever found a stray broadcast and why? Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again for joining us today, Doug. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Ewan. People can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. B-Side's coming back. I'm doing a, a B-Side for this, uh, this episode. So Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. And um, look for that. That'll be out uh, the same time this is. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss Nick's recommendation, which is my recommendation, from 1987, The Running Man. I'm so looking forward to this one. Stay tuned for our first impressions of The Running Man. Ding, 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 ding. So The Running Man, uh, this one was one I watched when traveling for work, I don't know, in 2014 or something. So the first time I watched it was a, a pretty low-res movie file on my laptop, probably in Ohio or Milwaukee or somewhere. Um, and I loved it. It was a silly, fun, great movie to watch when you're sitting in a hotel kind of bored anyway. Um, I did a rewatch now. I think it was a slightly better file, but still on my laptop. And you know, it's it's a little it's a it's a fun Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's uh, how about you guys? How'd you watch The Running Man? This time recently, I watched it uh, first on uh, I forgot it was one of the, the streaming services, one of like the the big three or the big four. Watched it then. It was late night when uh, my kids were asleep, so. I started watching it like on my phone and then I started watching on the TV. You know, it was in like pieces. And then the second time that I watched it was um, from uh, a file that uh, you had shared with me. And both both were good, but it was like, oh man, this takes me back to, uh, I, I watched it, you know, kind of, I want to say in the, I guess it would have been the 90s, um, soon after it came out or the, the late 90s. Um, and then I also watched it in college, just, you know, one of those, those nights where, you know, a bunch of college buddies are watching cheesy movies. So a couple of times in my life, but most recently, yeah, a uh, couple, you know, through the file you share with me and then on a couple of streaming service or on a streaming service. And it was, it was just as I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've watched this in the nineties, probably with Nick on a VHS. Cause I remember the VHS I, I think it was a, a VHS that wasn't ours. Like we found it. It wasn't official. It was. Sort of, oh, I'll it, tell you all about that soon. Okay. Tom. Yeah. And then I rewatched it on the on on the computer. Um, and yeah, you know, it's. <laughs> I read the book also. Uh, the you know the one of the Bachman books, the Stephen King Bachman books. Um, and yeah it's you know it's a it's a it's a movie <laughs> you know it's on celluloid <laughs> you can see it <laughs> um yeah it, it's I, I it's kind of i was just fascinated by like the connections between the cast and um and like uh whatever the the, the greater reality of the picture um like the, the bodybuilder guy you know zven the big guy who 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 works for the company as like a security guard um, I found that he has done 15 movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and is Arnold Schwarzenegger's most common collaborator. And so like little things like that kept popping up when I was trying to look into the movie. And so I I, I enjoyed that maybe more than the actual picture. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do remember being at Nick's house as, as a child watching 
um watching the running man and thinking like it was like oh it was a really badass movie like this is so dark it's so dark They're, you know this is how they treat criminals in 2017 uh the, the way 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 future um so that was my experience for our loyal listeners out there you may remember this glorious day when i was on my way walking to sixth grade and i came across a treasure trove that i could not believe there were two giant paper um bags full of vhs tapes <laughs> and i decided that i'm going to take both of these to school that day have them in the classroom all day long and then bring home these random sacks of vhs's to see what i had found <laughs> and among those films was the running man now apparently a person must have copied every single thing that was on hbo for a certain period of time so this is also where i saw the road warrior um conan the barbarian and a, a variety of other films in that generation which may be why i enjoy that part of uh cinematic history so much um i love the running man this is the definition of a guilty pleasure it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be great. It has to be Arnold. And that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It has the most cheese. I think the amount of cheese in this movie is the most you can concentrate within an Arnold film, uh, action film. I think it may have the most cheesy lines within a single movie. But I'll save the rest of that for the episode. I can picture the exact TV that you guys must have watched it on, Nick, in your folks' house. And when I picture that TV, I picture the static because it had an antenna. And so I don't think we were usually watching movies. I didn't realize you had a VCR. But I, so when I'm picturing you guys watching The Running Man, it's through a layer of static, which I think might improve the movie. Like it might then add to this this world, this environment of. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I think that may like have been because thing. it was recorded after off of HBO. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> <laughs> And I, I think it also ties into this idea, Kitchi, you were mentioning of the global village, which should we say what that is? Yeah. Okay. So the global village also comes from Marshall McLuhan, aka who's, you know, um <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of like a definition or whatever. I'm like, no, Tom's going to say it so much better. So instead I just said, yeah. 